I want to continue part two today of the series that we started last week, A Beautiful Mind. Um, and you remember last week we talked about uh, three kinds of crises that we have uh, with identity and the idea of who do you think you are. It's kind of a deep subject and we talked about, uh, we make the mistake of saying that, that our identity is in natural descent or our ethnicity, or if it's in the will of the flesh, or if it's in the will of man, uh, but we're to form our, our identity on God himself, and that we're first and foremost born uh, of God. And we made the, the uh, sort of observation last week uh, that uh, our thoughts uh, have a kind of a spiritual quality to them. Um, and we're, we see this in the scripture. Uh, today we're going to talk about why what you think affects what you do, uh, but we observed uh, last week there's a spiritual quality to our thoughts. It's a really vivid story, just as an example of this in Luke chapter 16. You know pieces and parts of it. Uh, it's a story, uh, a really weird story in some ways, of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, it's in Luke chapter 16. I've got the reference in the screen. You've got this rich man, and he's dressed in, in, in purple and fine linen, and he lives in luxury every day. And at his gate, you have a beggar by the name of Lazarus, and he's covered with sores, and he longs to eat what has fallen from the rich man's table. And even the dogs come and lick his stores. Very vivid story. And then they, the, both of these men die. And Jesus is telling this story, and, uh, and the angels carry this man, Lazarus, over to Abraham's side, which was, uh, which was the place of the dead that they understood, Abraham's bosom, it was sometimes called. And the rich man also died, and he goes to a different place, a place of torment. And then there's this conversation uh, that takes place, even when both of these people are, are, have passed away. And it's interesting to just to observe the conversation because it appears that these people have their memories intact and they can think and they can feel and they can understand things. And yet their bodies are in the ground. And granted, it's a, it's a story that Jesus tells, but he, he, he's telling it with that's how they understood things. That's how they understood what happens after a person died. And it implies there is a kind of a spiritual component to the way that we think and to what our minds are. It's not just because your brain is alive that you think. There is a supernatural quality to us. We're created in the image of God. And there's a, a perhaps a spiritual quality is a better word than supernatural to us. We have the fingerprint of God on us, even in our, even in our mind. So there's a spiritual quality for sure. Uh, but there's also an invisible quality to our minds. Remember last week we talked about, well, if we took a little couple of probes and put them on the sides of your head and maybe we could see everything that you were thinking on the screen. Well, nobody wants to take that challenge ever because we want to keep many things that we think quite private. Uh, there is a hidden quality to them. I cannot tell what you are thinking right now. Some of you may be thinking good things. Some of you may be thinking bad things. I cannot tell. And we have a way as humans of doing that. We can be talking with somebody. We can be saying all the right things and all the right words and going through all the right motions. But we don't like the person at all. Um, I was watching, I'll bring up a hot topic. Uh, I was watching a couple of months ago or, well, it's not even a month ago, I guess, when, when the, uh, uh, President Trump was, was elected. And he had that first meeting 
uh, all the cameras were on the meeting with him and the former president, Barack Obama. Did any of you watch this? So you were, I'm watching the body language between these two, these two men <laughs> as they're talking. And they even had analysts come and observe the body language of these two gentlemen. And they're, all, they're using all the right words and all the right language. But you can tell these two do not like each other. <laughs> they are di- diametrically opposed to one another in viewpoint. And you could see a little bit of the posturing and a little bit of the things and the people are trying to explain, well, he's doing, he has this posture for this reason. This is what he's thinking. And this is what he's thinking. And, but the truth is nobody knows what they were thinking because our thoughts are invisible. We can't see them. And this is where uh, sometimes the, the, the problems begin to come. Uh, if God truly made our minds beautiful, then what does he, how does he want us to think? Um, we are in a, a look but don't touch world. Uh, the passage, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, I got it on the screen there. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And in context there, he's trying to say that that when God comes into your life, he begins to reveal his thoughts to you. But who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? I keep thinking of that meeting between those two presidents. Um, We're in a a look-but-don't-touch world. Where it's okay, you can look at it, but don't touch it. It's okay, you can think it, but don't do it. Uh, and, and we kind of live with this contradiction between what we think and how we live. And this is fairly normal. Uh, this is a fairly, it's considered very normal to live this way. The question is, does the Bible agree with this? Does the Bible have anything to say about this kind of thing? And it's, it's quite fascinating when you read through the scripture from cover to cover. I did this over a period of several years and tried to, to look at, well, what does the Bible say about what we think? What does it say about our minds and our thoughts? And it's fascinating when you look at what the Scripture has to say, because the view in the Bible is a very, very different view than the way the culture and the world teaches about these kinds of things. Um, and the, I put a, a whole list of Scripture on the screen for you, and, uh, you know, we could take a little walk through some of them. This is just a sampling of, of how the Bible views what we think and whether or not what we think and what we do should be the same or there should be this contradiction uh, between the two of them. Uh, I'll go through some of these with you. Um, so Genesis chapter 6, there you've got the story of when God is going to flood the, the globe and he's going to flood the world. And what's interesting, what he says Um, The text says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So he looks at the thoughts and he looks at the actions very much as one. He saw the wickedness and he saw the even the inclination of the thoughts of humanity and they were only evil all the time. And so the Lord was grieved and he made man on the earth. His heart was filled with pain. And so he says, I will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. Wow. And it had a lot to do with the inclinations of the heart and what man was thinking. 
uh, you move you move a whole period of history forward to when when King David wants to build the the temple for God and a place for the Ark of the Covenant and so on. And God says to him, "No, you're not going to build that temple. Um, your son Solomon is going to build it." And and David has this big meeting with with Solomon and all the leadership there it's a big important meeting and David rises to his feet and he gives the speech that says that his son is going to build this temple and he says to Solomon and you my son Solomon first chronicles 28 acknowledge the god of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willingness to fortify his opinion and he will be full of light. Because it comes in your eyes. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. So again, then between what you think and what you do. Psalm 14, 1 to 3. I'm pretty sure this is David again writing this. And he says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's in his, in his soul, in his mind, in his heart. And he says, the, the actions very closely related. God, and the the thoughts and the saying, you're a two-faced guy, Paul. You, you say God looks down from heaven to see if there are any who understand. I is the lamp of the body, the image that he's using. And you see this you kind of union, the way that God looks in Christ. So he's talking about four words there. Uh, 55 verse 7, the Old Testament prophet, who does good, not even one. Again, what we think and what we do is very similar. Isaiah, and the evil man, his thoughts lives it's it's against the look but it says this the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it i the lord search the heart and examine the mind to do according to his conduct according to what his deeds deserve again you see this can you seek him he'll be found by you but if you forsake from from me or from you know people but is saying about the condition of humanity there uh, but you can't hide it from god uh, he searches, David writing in Psalm 139, he starts, I would submit to you that for many, many, one thing, uh, but then in your, in your, what you action, it, it's a little depressing, isn't it? When you look at, and you know me, you know, when I sit, you know, when I, uh, repetition is, is an important from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And then he ends the Psalm this way, search me, God, and know my heart. There's a chorus that we sing uh, we sometimes like that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He starts the psalm saying, you have searched me. He ends the psalm saying, search me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Again, the connection between how we think, how we live. Jesus would take this to a whole new level in the New Testament. Um, and he says, and this is, this is a bit scary for the men, I guess, in the room. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. This is one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Just, just as an experiment for, for the people in the room. Okay? When it gets a little warmer outside, a little warmer go go even in the even in this mall area or even you know you really want to free thought and make it obedient to jesus said matthew 6 uh, the eye <laughs> i want you to observe what they look at by which a disputant and there's john three fifteen. um anyone who hated this scripture is extremely true and you will see that wow i mean for jesus the 
and how they look at it, okay? And you will see doing this, he essentially condemns a whole lot of people uh, because this is, this is a reality uh, in many, many people's lives. If that's there, that's adultery. By Christians, this is a reality. The stuff right, and then when you come with people, you're different, and you're a bit of a pretty negative. Well, I mean, this is, this is what God stands. Speaking of the mind, any who seek God, and you think about it, and so what are you looking at? Is using if your eyes are good, your whole body full of darkness. If then the light with you within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Powerful imagery. Mark seven, uh, for it is in from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he gives a whole list of of transgression there. Romans 1, Paul writing, um, speaking about humanity, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Speaking about what you're thinking, and he gave them over to a depraved mind, he says. And they've become filled with all kinds of a big list. And speaking of things like greed and depravity, all these things. Wow, it's a very sober. See this experiment work. Go to downtown Montreal. I rise, you, pour, you perceive my thoughts. Eats his brother is a murderer. Oh, I mean, that's kind of like Jesus with the whole, the whole lust thing. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So there's this correlation, again, between what we think and what we do in the view of God. And finally, Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus speaking to one of the churches there. He says, I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So for him, there's a connection between the two. And the things that you're thinking about, the things that are up here, are eventually going to be the things that you do. So it's a little bit, little bit depressing. I don't mean to, I don't mean to lay, lay heavy on you, okay? But when, this, when the scripture says things like, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, this is kind of one of the reasons why. So how do we, how do we then you know, make the two line up, the, what we think and what we do, in a way that pleases God. If we call ourselves uh, uh, followers of Jesus, then how do we do this? Let me give you three, three tips for your thoughts, okay, for you to ponder on, pun intended. Uh, number one, think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. A lot of people don't. They just, their, their, their minds are all over the place, but they're not stopping and saying, well, wait a second, what am I really thinking about here? Any of you watch Dr. Phil ever? Well, you're so quiet. Do any of you ever watch Dr. Phil? I, I watch him sometimes, and I like some of the things that Dr. Phil says, other things I may not like, but he has a famous line. Do you know the line that he says? He says, what are you thinking? Right? Or what were you thinking? Or sometimes he'll throw in an expletive or two. What are, what are you thinking is his point. And that's a, good, that's a good thought. That's a good point he's making there. Because a lot of times we don't even think about what we're thinking about. And we don't realize, we don't examine and say, well, hold on a second. Is what you're thinking about here, is what you're dwelling on, is what you're, you're meditating on in a sense, is it honoring to God? Is it pleasing to God? Like, do you, are you even aware of what you're thinking about? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Oh, sorry, chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, uh, addresses this uh, very quickly. Um, while Paul is talking about how people uh, in the church in Corinth are basically, while dealing with this, he throws these three. Oh, we live in the world. We do not wage war. The word there. When people have all kinds of hypocrite. And, uh, and Paul, uh, think about, is it opposed to God? Well, what are you uh, verses in? He says, for this point, your whole body will be full of life. But if you're as the world does, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Interesting word. And he continues, we demolish arguments and every pretension, he says, that sets itself up, sets itself up against the no, don't touch philosophy. Very different. The look and the desire was enough. The knowledge of God. And we take captive every 8 million because it will do what? It will make us run out and buy against God and against the knowledge of God. Um, the word stronghold there, uh, uh, an argument or a reasoning is every heart. He understands every motive. If you look that the scripture has about what we're thinking for him, Solomon, my son. Um, he okay, and I just want you to observe the men defend it against his opponent. Well, when this is against God, then basically what it means is you got a series of things going on in your head that is opposed directly to God, and arguing, as it were, a, the Greek word meant this back in the day. Total contradiction to what God says: in strongholds and arguments and pretensions and thoughts. Even as he's addressing this attack in his word. Um, uh, Neil Anderson, a, a contemporary uh, uh, teacher, defines the word stronghold this way. I thought this was interesting. Negative patterns of thought which are burned into our minds either through repetition over time or through one-time traumatic experiences. At some of these passages because they can be they can be for psalm and he says you have searched me lord stuff going in their head over and over and over and over again well hold on and stop think about what you think pop culture in in terms of the media actually doing about that um if it is uh i heard on the the radio uh this week a discussion about whether you're defines the word stronghold this way. I thought this was interesting. Negative patterns of thought which are burned into our minds either through repetition over time or through one-time traumatic experiences. It's some of these passages because they can be, they can be, he can reject you forever. Wow, that is quite something. Two hours of violence in a movie and has no influence who, who uh, work in advert. Super Bowl ad is worth you know, 3.8. So you, you can watch uh, to the product. So you ask the people who to control sometimes big life decisionizing whether or not the media affects behavior. <laughs> I mean, that's how they make their money because media does affect behavior and they're able, that's repeated over and over and over again over a period of time based on a 30 second piece of audio visual material so it's a bit amusing when we time they can actually influence culture and influence decision making. And you can make some pretty big decisions just because of that. On Tuesday, on Valentine's Day, and did a little clip say 
that pop culture and media and the things that we consume do not affect our lives. Uh, I stood out in front of the theater, horrendous reviews, even by the, and posted it on Facebook, and about this, this movie that came out a couple of weeks ago, Fifty Shades Darker. Fifty Shades Dark today, and it, we talked about it. He says it's it didn't matter who was talking about it. Horrendous reviews. I was talking to the manager uh, of the theater, and you, my son Solomon, First Chronicles twenty eight, terrible movie. But on Valentine, to build this temple, and he says to Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father, and serve him with wholehearted devotion. And with a willing mind, Solomon, with a will. Oof. So you may be able to hide what you're thinking. Every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. He says, no, all have turned away. All have become. He will have mercy on him too, our God, for he will freely pardon him. And told him that his parents were killed, instantly killed. He's, there's, a, there's a union, Times Day. The movies, the movies uh, revenue went up 181% across uh, North America. And they predicted this. They said on Valentine's Day, that movie is going to go through the roof. The movie is utter depravity in a sexual fashion. And the, the, the big consumers of the movie are women, not men. Big consumers of the movie are women. And, and, and yet we say, we ask the question, does, does pop culture affect our decision making in our lives? Well, of course it does. Otherwise, that wouldn't be the number one movie on Valentine's Day. One wonders what is going on in the minds of people who would watch it. Women, uh, if you know the content of the movie, I mean, is utterly, it's utterly depraved. Um, but what's going on inside of our heads and how do, we, how do we deal with that? Um, uh, next tip for you, besides think about what you think about, remember, if there's garbage in, there's going to be garbage out. Just, just to say it bluntly, garbage in, garbage out. So, so Paul says to the Romans, I urge you in view of the mercy of God, um, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Bit of a play on words in the Old Testament the sacrifices were always dead. Well, he says, no, you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When you give God everything you have, including your, your physical body, everything you have, this is your spiritual act of worship. And he continues, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't put the garbage in. He says, be transformed. It's a, it's a big word in the, in the Greek language. We get the, we get the word metamorphosis from this word in the, in the modern English. Be transformed by the renewing of, not your actions, your mind. Your mind. Don't put the garbage in. You've got to change the way that you think. You've got to transform, metamorphosize yourself so that your mind is renewed. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I always find it strange when people who are Christians say, I don't know what God's will is. Well, not only can you know what God's will is, you can test it and approve it. 
<laughs> but how are you thinking? Are you thinking like the world does, or are you thinking like uh, what God wants you to think? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Paul again speaking, he says, As for you, in your, in your pre-Christian life, as it were, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins, in which you used to live. You used to. You used to have the garbage. In other words, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following what? Its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in sin, is by grace that you've been saved. Amazing how the thoughts, wow, there, there should be a change where we say, hey, we can't put the garbage in anymore. So, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian person and you went to watch Fifty Shades of whatever, you, you may reconsider that decision, okay? That, 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 may, that may really affect how you, you think about things and how you start living your life. You've got to be careful not to put that garbage in anymore. Um, because if you put garbage in, garbage is likely going to come out, at least eventually. Uh, and the third tip for you, if you put Scripture in, you're going to get life out. If you put Scripture in, you're going to get life out. Um, Psalm 119, uh, verses 9 to 11. Mm, long, long psalm. How can a, can a young man keep his way pure? Can be man, woman, doesn't matter. By living according to your word. And then he uses some really, really cool language. I seek you with all my heart. Do not, lead me, uh, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart, he says. That's very poetic language for saying I memorize it. I've, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Very smart. He recognized that the power of the scripture would keep him from following all of the, all of the ways of the world. The power of the scripture and memorizing it and getting it into his heart would change the way that he actually lived. Um, we have uh, uh, in the, the little party room at 9 a.m., a group that's still continuing called U-Turn. And this is, this is you know, very basic content uh, for people who are relatively new to Christianity. But I'll be honest, it's, it's not basic content at all. I mean, wow, it, it's, it's addressing foundational, foundational issues. And um, one of the things that the material we use encourages is memorizing Scripture. In fact, I tease some of the people who come to that group and I say, you're never getting out of this group until you can memorize the five passages that this material tells you to memorize. When you can recite all five from memory, then you're free to go. Otherwise, you're my prisoner until, until you, you can recite all five. It's amazing how quickly people will memorize Scripture when you put that in front of them. But why is that? When you memorize Scripture, there, something begins to change. You, you, that scripture that you memorized about that subject that was important to your life, as soon as you run into that problem, poof, you find, hey, I remember what the Bible says about the thing. Um, I remember it says, do not steal. I remember that, you know, whenever you're in a position where you could steal, for example. I know a story of one lady and she went up to a bank machine 
and the bank machine had a live card in it. It was live. The account was open. The card was in, and she could have withdrawn every penny of what was in that bank account and could have probably reasoned to herself, well, God has blessed me today. Uh, you know, thank God for his provision. Look at this, a bank card right in the machine. Um, and But she remembered, well, hold on a second. You know, what am I thinking here? I mean, I could, I could steal it. I could get away with it, but it's wrong. It's wrong because God says, do not steal. So she took the card out, took a receipt out, went to the bank, you know, a live person, and said, here, I found this in the machine. And, you know, there was a, you know, a positive reaction from the person uh, impressed with the honesty, you see. But this is what happens. It's a simple illustration, but this is what happens when you, what you think changes because of what you know in the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, old, old passage uh, uh, God says through Moses to the people, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And, and he's talking to parents. I often use this when we're dedicating children. Um, impress them upon your children. Talk about them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. In other words, in your everyday life, Talk about these things with your kids. Find ways to bring it up to them. Find practical ways. That was very practical in the day. You're sitting at home. You're walking along the road. Talk about these things. Talk about them when you lie down when you, and when you get up. Every instance that you can find to impress these things upon your kid in the natural day-to-day -day life, you look for a way to do that. And he, and he says even further, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. There's a custom uh, throughout uh, Judaism where they actually do that in a physical way. They call it tefillin or a phylactery is the word in the New Testament. It's a little piece of leather that you wrap around your arm seven times and this strap that you put around your head with a little box on it. Okay, and inside that box is a little passage of scripture. Love the Lord your God. The Lord our God is one, you know, and it's taken very, very seriously. Well, the point is that you've got to get the scripture in your heart and in your head. Um, he says, write them down on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I mean, any way that you can get the stuff in your soul, it's going to alter your life. Impress them upon your kids you know we have we have some of your kids in in uh, the, the theater number five and the little ones today we've got them in the party room which is really cool but we've got them for an hour we can't do much with them in an hour if you're not impressing upon them the things of god well we're not going to have much success uh, for an hour you've got them all week long You've got opportunity to do that while they're waking up and, you know, going to school and doing their homework and sitting at the dinner table. Whatever shot you have, take, the, take your shot and get the Bible into your kids because it's going to alter the way that they live. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. We love, the, we love the, 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 the beginning of this, but we don't often think about the end. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Yes. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yes. But he continues. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things and you're going to find a transformation in your life. Don't, don't pray in this way and then think about things that are opposed to God. This is a contradiction. Think about what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And the peace of God as you pray is going to transcend all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, it's a peace of God that's not a, not a kind of a human peace. Be careful with that, okay? Some people think, well, you know, as long as I feel peace, then I know that I'm in the will of God. Um, you know, Jonah had a lot of peace when he was running from the will of God. He was asleep in, the, in a boat in a big storm. Pretty peaceful. Didn't have any trouble sleeping. It's not talking about that kind of peace. It's talking about a peace that transcends human understanding. And finally, from Romans chapter 8, you want a definition of what eternal life looks like today. Um, it's when what you think about is pleasing to God and what you do is pleasing to God. That's eternal life. It's not about whether or not you're, you've got success today or whether you're, you won today or whether you've got prosperity today. Those things come and go. It's about, hey, I can think godly things and I can live in a godly way. There is no contradiction in the way that I think, in the way that I live. That's eternal life. Romans chapter 8, the mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Amazing how you can talk to a person who's a hardened atheist, uh, who, who re completely rejects God altogether. They are going to... They are going to live in that contradiction where the things that they think about and the things that they do are in contradiction all the time. Because if they did what they thought about, they'd probably be in jail. <laughs> but you, you ask them, can you even control what you think? If God is not real, can you even think in a way that would be godly if he were real? And the truth is they can't. Because the Spirit of God has to do a work in a person in order for that to take place. And if you're a follower of Christ in the room, and I think every single person here is, well then, you, you've got to do those things. You've got you've to put Scripture in, and life will come out. You've got to, you know, if there's garbage, you know, change it. Change, take the garbage out, okay? Take it out. Uh, because if you put it in, it's going to come out. Um, and you've got to remember... Um, uh, Whatever the third point was. Yeah, think about what you think about. Remember Dr. Phil, okay? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little bit differently before we close with this song. Is there any, any questions on anything in this area uh, that we've covered for the last two weeks uh, on this subject? Because it's not a subject we hear about often um, in church settings, but I think it's very, very vital. So if you have any questions, just fire it out to, for the next couple of minutes. Yes, Jonathan at the back.
Oh, that's a great question. Um, uh, James says that faith without works is dead. It's a, it's a dead faith. Um, and, and what he's talking about in context there is a, a person can't claim to, to, to believe, and yet the way that they live is in contradiction to that. Um, and and this is this is not exactly what we're talking about. It's not exactly the same subject. I don't think. Um, if I had a paper Bible, I could look it up. Maybe Jan, if you could bring me my Bible that's in my bag there, if you see it, I could go and 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 show you the context there. Um, but the idea that James is after, he says he says even the demons believe um, and shudder. He says so demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but. They're, they don't live that way. <laughs> so he's saying if there's, uh, if there's a profession of faith, there needs to be actions that show um, that a person believes. I'm just going to do this really impromptu um, and uh, find the passage. It's, um, it's James, uh, oh, uh, faith without works is death. Uh, uh, well, somebody find it for me, <laughs> but it's in James somewhere. Um, but do you see the point? I mean, what, what Paul is saying and what Jesus is saying, what the scripture is saying has to do with, okay, what you think and what you do, there should be a unity because God looks not only at what you do, he, he looks at what you think. So if there's any relation to that and the faith without works passage, it's, well, if a person says they have faith, but they're not doing what they say, one wonders what could be going on up here in the mind. Does that make sense? Did you find it? Uh, James 2 and 14. Thank you, Ritu, here. I feel like I'm in a bit of a classroom, but that's okay. We all know each other here. So James 2, uh, James 2 and 14, right? So what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And he talks about a practical example. You've got a brother or sister with no clothes, no food. And the person says, well, go, you know, God bless you. Keep warm and well fed. I'm a Christian. Keep warm and well fed. I mean, so, so James says, uh, excuse me, there's a bit of a contradiction there. Don't claim to have faith and do nothing when you can obviously do something. So, you know, perhaps James would say, what's going on in your head if you're living that way? Does that make some sense? Yeah, good. Great question. Really good. Yes, Joe's. Uh, Very, a very good observation, Joseph. Yeah, did you hear what he said? What he's saying is that, is that our thoughts affect our actions, but our actions also affect our thoughts. And we have to make decisions that will change our thoughts as well. Yes? This is what you mean? Yeah. Very good point, Jose. 
Thank you. you. Maybe you don't know this about Joe's. I've said it a couple of times. Joe's has a PhD uh, in Islamic studies and teaches world religion in, uh, in a couple of colleges. So he's uh, a very good observation. Thank you, Joe's. Yeah, we'll take, we'll take uh, another one. We have time. Any other questions on this? I know it's different, but yes, Dave at the back. Well, it's a great question, and, and you won't know the will of God uh, unless you read it in his word. In general, uh, Tozer, the great, the great scholar of yesteryear, uh, I believe he said 80% of the time um, you're going to see God's will in the Bible, in his word. 80% of the time you're going to know what his will is. This is why I argue when Christians say, well, I don't know what God's will is, well, it means you don't read the Bible because his will is fairly clear uh, in the Bible. And, and Tozer would say, I think it was 10 to 15 percent of the time you're going to have circumstances that kind of corroborate and dovetail like a jigsaw puzzle that, that, that push you in a particular direction. And that's a way of knowing. And he said 5 percent of the time. Um, there's going to be a supernatural experience, a miraculous thing that's going to convince you uh, of the will of God. But the bulk of it is pretty simple. It's, it's in the Bible. So you want to you get your head um, in that book, even if all you can, can read and can process is the New Testament, which is a you know, pretty small book. Just getting your head in there over a period of time, slowly, is going to alter uh, the way you perceive God's will. But you can't, no, no Christian can know God's will without uh, spending time in his word. You, you just can't because we, we're not able to perceive God's will naturally. We need it to be revealed to us. And this is what he does through the Bible. Does that make some sense? Okay, good. Yeah. Yes, read to. Wow, you guys ask great questions. Um, uh, Josh McDowell, who's a good, fairly good teacher and apologist uh, of the last 20, 30 years. A great if you have kids. He's written some really good books, really helpful for, for people who have kids. He talks about um, uh, fact, faith, and feelings. Okay? And he, and he, he builds a, a, a little train. And, and so he, he argues... What should be the first car in the train? Should it be feelings? Should it be fact? Or should it be faith? What should be the first car? So who's running the show? What, what would you say? Fact, faith, or feelings? What should be the front of the, of the train? It should be fact, yeah. It should be fact. So, so the fact is, you know, what God has revealed in his word, let's say. This is the fact or, or, you know, Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is coming. This is the fact that we know. So, so, so what should be the second, the second car in the train after fact, would you say? You only got two more. You got faith and feelings left. You got a 50-50 chance. Well, yeah, he would say faith. So faith follows fact. And then the feelings are in the back. 
<laughs> and, but what happens to a lot of us is we put the feelings right in the front car. And that, that could lead you into some major difficulty. Because you can feel things and you can feel things very strongly. And your emotions can, but if they run the show, I mean, they're highly susceptible to change. You know, lots of things can change emotions. Um, and emotions usually follow what we think. You know, we think a certain way and we have an emotion. Mm -mm, so, you know, you change the way you think, your, your emotions might change as well. But if, you, if, if that's who's driving the car, you could end up in an accident. So you've got to know, okay, what, what does the fact say here? Because what I feel is highly unreliable. I mean, if I went by what I feel all the time, oh my goodness, I mean, I wouldn't even be standing here in this room, you know? <laughs> Sometimes I don't even feel like getting out of bed, you know? I mean, if I went by what I feel. So you've got to be careful with that. I, that's why I like McDowell's analogy. You put the facts first, you put faith in the facts, and then your feelings will follow suit. But that's a discipline, eh? It's very, very difficult. The culture will not teach it that way. The culture says what you feel is powerful. If it feels good, do it. You, you know, it's all about you. If it feels good, it must be good. Because it feels good, therefore do it. This is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is completely opposed to this. Completely. Not even, it's completely opposed to it. Exactly. Yeah, it, yeah I'm, you know, if I feel it. And then, then we say to ourselves, well, because I feel it, it must be good. Says who? You, you know, I mean, we, we feel great when we take vengeance, you know, to, you know, kill the person and bury the body. Oh, didn't that feel good? Well, it was wrong. Do you know what I mean? So the, the, the two are completely opposed. The way that the world teaches it and the way God teaches it are completely opposed. This is why you've got to get in the book. You've got to get in the book. Yeah. Another question? One more? No? Going once? Going twice? You guys are thinking. Wow, amazing questions. Please stand with me. I'd ask Don and the team to come. I'm going to pray with you and let them sing. Think about what you're singing, okay? Next week, we're going to, we're going to close with the battle between your ears. That's where it all takes place. It's right up there. It is a battle. So we're going to talk about that next week. Father, I thank you.